Hi, I'm Michelle Vermeen and I'm a pediatric dermatologist at the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. It's my pleasure to be pre presenting this research letter on behalf of my collaborators, which was recently published in the British Journal of Dermatology. This work focuses on developing pediatric-focused clinical criteria or definitions for blistering severe cutaneous adverse reactions in children. I know that sounds like a mouthful, but I think as we go through the presentation, you'll see that the content is pretty relatable and accessible to understand. Feel free to reach out with any questions. My email is at the end of this presentation. So this presentation will focus on the what, why, and what now of this paper. First, we'll talk about blistering scars, what they are exactly. We'll talk about why we worked on this topic and how this might change management and outcomes and the experience for our pediatric patients. So when we talk about the blistering scars, we're not talking about the type of blisters you might get on your heel if you are ill-fitting shoes for a hike that's a bit longer than you might have thought. The term scar is an abbreviation for severe cutaneous adverse reaction. Scars are life-threatening reactions of the skin that can also affect the mucous membranes or moist areas of the body and the internal organs, often triggered by a medication. These patients tend to be pretty sick. They also will usually have a fever and they have what we call systemic signs and symptoms. So they're usually in the hospital because they are very unwell. When it comes to the look of the skin, scars can have different appearances on the skin. And so for example, a patient might have pustules or pimple-like spots on the skin pictured in the top left-hand panel. They might have a lot of redness affecting a lot of their body with or without a bumpiness to the skin. And the particular type of scars we were interested in were the blistering scars, which are pictured on the lower left. These patients have burn-like areas on their skin and they also have fluid-filled blisters, some of which peel off over time. You might also notice that this patient has blisters on her lips and that extend inside to the oral mucosa. The other, mu or the other mucous membranes or moist areas of the body can also be affected and these would include inside the nose, the eyes, the genital mucosa, and the anal mucosa. When we talk about blistering scars, we're talking about the conditions described as erythema multiforme, EM, Stevens-Johnson syndrome, SJS, and toxic epidermal necrolysis, TEN. At first glance, these conditions might look a little difficult to tell apart, but I'll summarize for you what we discussed in our manuscript and what's known from the literature. SJS is the term used for patients who have blistering affecting less than 10% of their skin. It can be triggered by medications or infections in various reports. TEN, on the other hand, is more often due to medications and affects more than 30% of the skin. We know, however, that a certain number of SJS patients are going to go on to have more skin involvement and eventually qualify for that diagnosis of TEN. You might be wondering right now, what do we do with those patients who have 10 to 30% body surface area involvement or skin involvement? Well, those patients would be given a diagnosis of overlap SJS-TEN. 
What's really important to know is that erythema multiforme, or EM, never goes on to become SJS and TEN. These patients can be recognized by their very characteristic target-shaped blisters. So they have that central, kind of crusted or necrotic, dead-looking area, then usually a, a ring around that that's pinkish or swollen, and a further ring of redness. It has a strong association with the cold sore virus, herpes simplex virus, and these patients are generally well. So in the last slide, we talked a little bit about how time from the start of the problem can affect a diagnosis of, for example, SJS versus TEN, depending on how much of the skin is affected. But another challenge with diagnosing blistering scars in children is that the categories were made for adult patients and it's not clear that we can directly apply these to children. Especially in pediatrics, we have patients that just don't fit nicely into the categories, that don't stay within the lines, that don't fit in the box. This happens especially in children who have a lot of blistering of their mouths or involvement of their eyes or genital mucosa without having a lot of skin blisters. And the patient you see here highlighted with the yellow box was one of my first patients who had this challenging skin disorder and whom I really struggled to diagnose and treat over years. Not only in his case, but in other pediatric cases that don't fit nicely into the box, we really struggle to make the diagnosis and sometimes that can delay treatments that could get the patient better and stop their condition from progressing much more quickly. When I think about how we struggle to make this diagnosis, I think this is a nice way to visualize what I'm talking about. So here we have an apple on the left and an orange on the right. Those are easy to diagnose because they have very clear features. But when faced with this fruit that's an apple on the outside and an orange on the inside and having features of both, some people would probably call the new fruit an apple, while other people would call it an orange. And that makes it more challenging for us to recognize and diagnose patients the same way and give them treatments than look at what the effect of the treatment is because we may all be using slightly different terms. This happens in the medical literature as well. Taking my case as an example, if we think of him as the apple orange, when I went back to review his file, I saw that many providers had looked at his skin, seen that he didn't have very many lesions, and that he had a bit of oral involvement, and had called his condition erythema multiforme. Others had looked at his skin and his mucous membrane involvement, and had called him SJS. And actually, when I went back to look closely review his file, I saw that he had been given over 10 different diagnoses over time. So this is a real challenge. Making that diagnosis is a real challenge and a barrier to being able to provide treatment early and to prevent the conditions from getting worse. To start this project, a group of pediatric dermatologists and dermatologists interested in severe cutaneous adverse reactions looked at what had already been written about these conditions in the medical literature, and we had a lot of support in this process. We used the result of our review and of our experience treating children with these conditions to create categories so that more patients would fit into the boxes without trying so hard.
And this is the result. Three categories that are non-overlapping, making it easier for even less experienced providers to make these diagnoses early and start the right treatment. So when it comes to drug-induced epidermal necrolysis, or DEN, the trigger, the trigger is a medication. And so this has to be identified quickly and withdrawn. These patients tend to be very sick. They can have a lot of skin involvement with blistering and they usually have multiple mucous membranes that are blistering as well. So a patient who has DEN needs to be looked after in a hospital that has experienced doctors and nurses who know how to care for them properly. When it comes to reactive infectious mucocutaneous eruption, or RIME, which you can see pictured here in the middle, these patients have very impressive blistering of their mucous membrane, so the damp parts of their body, the mouth, the eyes, the genital mucosa, but they don't have a lot of skin involvement. And their trigger is a respiratory infection. And the third category is erythema multiforme, or EM, which is very similar to the description I gave you previously. These patients have skin lesions that look like three-ring targets. They might have some sores in their mouth, and there is a strong relationship with the cold sore virus, herpes simplex virus. To carry these categories over to treatment, when we have a patient with erythema multiforme, we can look for the cold sore virus as a trigger and potentially treat the patient with an antiviral. When we have a patient who has rhyme, we can look for a respiratory infection, something that would give you a cold or a flu, and we can start treatment with an antibiotic sus suspecting that this is the most likely trigger. If patients have very severe blistering of their mucous membranes or even of the skin, we can consider giving a medication to stop their strong immune response and to stop the blistering earlier. When it comes to DEN, or drug-induced epidermal necrolysis, again, we want to quickly identify and stop the medication that we think is causing the reaction, ensure that the patient is in a, an experienced center that can look after them properly, and consider early treatment with a medication to suppress the immune response to their skin so that the blistering can be stopped before it becomes more severe. One of the parts of this publication that I think all of us are the most proud of is this uh, diagram that we created to help make diagnosis more straightforward. Taking the example of my case, who had mucositis, and yes, had a little bit of skin involvement. He had typically small little blisters, so he would have atypical bullous targets or vesiculobullae. He did not have more than 10% of his skin involved. And what I hadn't told you previously is that every time he came in with this reaction, he had just had a cold or a flu-like illness. So my patient's diagnosis was rhyme. And unfortunately, in his case, he had recurrent episodes. Here is another example of how making an early diagnosis and starting a treatment early can really change the disease trajectory for an individual patient. So this is a 17-year-old male who presented to the emergency room with some blistering of his mouth and some irritation of the eyes as, long, as well as this rash that was starting to blister on his body. He had just started carbamazepine 15 days ago for a newly diagnosed seizure disorder. You can see his skin starting to progress here. 
His carbamazepine was rapidly stopped and he received treatments to suppress the immune response to his skin with dexamethasone, cyclosporin, and etanercept. And look how quickly his skin stopped getting worse and improved. So this just goes to show that if we can make the diagnosis and start the treatment early, we can get people better more quickly too. So next steps for us. Well, now we have to prove that these definitions are really better for kids. And the first way that we're planning to do this is by testing them in more cases. We've used these definitions for our PROMISE study where we have 329 cases from numerous North American sites and we're checking to see that the definitions correlate with the cause that we identify from case review. And then the second step is to ask more experts and this doesn't just refer to doctors. We also need to probably ask patients and patient advocates, you know, groups that are interested in these spectrum of disorders, what they think about our definitions, if they think they're better, and the technique we'll use for that is a Delphi survey. After seeing my presentation today, I hope you'll agree that pediatric-specific definitions for blistering scars can help us as pediatric dermatologists to make an early diagnosis and start the right treatment quickly, ultimately leading to better outcomes for all kids. Thank you so much for your time and your attention today. I'm happy to take any questions or suggestions at my email address, which you can see listed below, michelle.ramin at ucalgary.ca. Thanks so much and have a great day, everyone.